in San Francisco, we're all sharing the exact same frustrations and concerns that everyone else is. When we uh, talked to Bob Walker, who's the chairman of medicine, he, he was cautiously optimistic. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake Peekles. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we have another in our episode of coronavirus specials. We are joined today by Dean Chow. Dean Chow is a full professor of neurosurgery at UCSF. If you've been following the news, you know that San Francisco has been one of the areas that has been hit early and also very proactive. Dean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Dean, for the listeners who don't know you as well, maybe you could give a very brief introduction as to who you are and how you came to neurosurgery. Uh, Yeah, I'm a San Francisco native uh, and uh, went to med school in San Francisco, trained on the East Coast and uh, came back to San Francisco because my family's here and joined the faculty and I've been on faculty for 16 years now. Great, great. Perfect. Can you give us as an introduction sort of the lay of the land of what's happening in the Bay Area, what it's like there, uh, what's happening with the the lockdowns and in your hospital? Yeah, with the Bay Area as a whole, I think that, you know, certainly the Santa Clara Valley area has a lot more. But San Francisco, the city, the the mayor and the police force have really implemented lockdowns much, much earlier. And I think that's part of the reason that things are somewhat controlled a little bit better than other parts of the country in San Francisco. And that lockdown philosophy is translated into the medical center also. So just a few weeks ago, we were operating normally, and I was anticipating it to be a normal August, I mean, April month, and we get this email saying, you got to shut everything down, and uh, we kind of poo-pooed it, and then another email saying, you really have to shut things down. The third email said, all elective cases are from here on out canceled, and then we knew this was uh, very serious, uh, but that's when it all started, was when the lockdown of the city started, and then... Uh, getting prepared for all the COVID patients who'd come into the ICU was the next uh, uh, sort of shoot at the drop. So Dr. Chow, why don't you then uh, take us through kind of the algorithm at UCSF? Um, you know, your, your colleague, Dr. Preen Mumaneni just gave a webinar on the protocol that's been set up there. But for those of our listeners who didn't catch it and can still benefit from hearing, you know, the, the very well-structured uh, systematic approach you're taking there. Why don't you give us a description of the UCSF protocol dealing with this virus? Yes. So just a brief background, UCSF has 680 beds. There are 12 full-time spine faculty, so both orthopedics and neurosurgery, 26 inpatient operating rooms at one of our at their main campus, and we have 58 ICU beds with ventilator support. And so what happened was with this this tier system, this prioritization system, the operating room committee did this on March 11th. And what they did was they defined what an urgent case was. And an urgent case was an emergent spinal condition 
that would likely lead to irreversible neural or structural injury, such as tumor, fracture, infection, or nerve compression, spinal cord compression. And during that, what happened was that cases were prioritized as uh, urgent or emergent. Uh, you could have the surgery, you know, a day or two uh, later, and then eventually they said, well, if the patient was going to go home the same day, uh, they could leave. So outpatient surgery, such as the microdiscs, uh, they would let go. And then eventually what happened is that they stopped all of that completely. So if it was elective whatsoever, you couldn't do it. Uh, and only urgent and emergent cases. And they had to be booked according to the grade of acuity. Uh, and they had to be required, they approved by the anesthesiologist. And those tiers are basically three tiers, one, two, and three. And you know, the, the, the first tier is our elective spine practice, basically scoliosis, you know, single level T-lifts, ACDF. Those are completely tier one, and those are basically put on hold. Tier two would be things that are a little bit more urgent, such as, uh, you know, someone with pretty significant myelopathy, didn't need surgery immediately, but not a good idea to wait three to six months. Uh, and then tier three was somebody who, you know, needed something urgent, you know, foot drop, uh, uh, ongoing osteomyelitis causing cord compression, tumor causing cord compression. And those are the three grades that, that eventually uh, were delineated. Now, Teen, can I ask you, so it's a committee, I imagine at UCSF, it's a big committee, right? Uh, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty big committee, yes. And is there disagreement? I mean, it, I can imagine like a, a urologist saying this prostate cancer has to go and then, you know, the brain surgeon says the brain is more valuable, like that kind of thing. There's, there's got to be some of that dynamic there, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, 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 it eventually what happened was since, you know, someone who's got, let's say you've got a sarcoma in your, your body and it's not technically emergent, but if you leave it there for six weeks, it may metastasize and basically kill you. So, so technically it was not an emergency, but eventually it became something that really needed to be done in a timely manner. And, and that's where the things sort of uh, were kind of hashed out in terms of disagreement, in terms of, you know, okay, we should look at this definition a little bit better. And, and what has happened eventually is that because the, the, uh, the COVID numbers at UCSF were not what we'd expected. So we're not like New York City, just, you know, just every single ICU bed full, you know, putting COVID patients in the OR. So far, it's been manageable, and they have actually talked about beginning to slowly uh, ramp up urgent cases, such as that, such as our sarcoma, who needs, it needs an operation or a brain tumor that eventually needs to come out, but it's not an emergency. But things like that are, are, are uh, being entertained to get done. How are the patients handling it? Those who are on the, you know, the more elective end of the spectrum who don't have emergent or even urgent pathologies, but are still suffering, have pain that they've been dealing with chronically, maybe a recent exacerbation. Are they understanding for the postponement? Uh, yeah. So a lot of the ones we talk to, the minute you say coronavirus, they become much more understanding. And uh, they, you know, obviously, like you said, they're very much in pain. They're very, very disappointed. They have their whole family arrange everything. They're, you know, work, but that's been completely turned upside down now with work, travel, et cetera. So they become very understanding. And, 
you know, I think that a lot of people are very fearful now of going into the hospital because they think that there's a higher risk of getting coronavirus while they're in the hospital. Uh, we get daily updates uh, from the medical center. And so far of the people who work at UCSF, none of them acquired the infection at the hospital. All of them acquired the infection out in the community, in the grocery store or, or park or whatever, but not from the medical center. Well, that's great to hear. So in, in addition to this tier system for deciding which cases can go to the OR, um, what changes, if any, have you had to your personnel and your staffing and your allocation of human resources within your own department? We've, we've talked to people at many centers who are going through various stages of their attendings or residents serving shifts in other ICUs or in the emergency department, um, people splitting into various teams to keep some personnel at home to reduce potential exposure within a department. How, how are you changing your, your staffing there during this crisis? Yeah, so that's a good point. We've done exactly that. that apparently, that is a Singapore protocol for compartmentalization of staff. So we are divided into two teams. Uh, so each team uh, goes in on certain days uh, and you can't go in if it's not your day. That way, if one, one team gets infected, the other one will still stay healthy. Mm. Uh, with regards to the, the, uh, how this, the other staff are doing, the, the clinic staff at this point, they all telecommute except for two people uh, and they rotate. So two people physically come into the hospital to physically be there. But all the others, which is about eight to 10 or 12 people, are all telecommuting so that they, uh, they're doing emails, et cetera, et cetera, all from home. Uh, but there's actually only two people on any given day that are in the clinic in terms of the staff. Uh, and then the clinics themselves are all telehealth. There's no in-person visits unless they're absolutely necessary. So like a wound check or staple removal or something where you physically have to see the patient. Otherwise, every single visit now is done uh, by telehealth through the computer. Hmm. Dean, can you tell us a little about the uh, personal protective equipment and PPE situation there? I, I watched a webinar from the CNS. Um, was it, it was the virtual visiting professor that was about UCSF's protocol. And I remember they put up the slide showing the entryway to the hospital and how you're screened through three people. And, all this, and they're just wearing normal clothes. They're not even wearing scrubs. They're not wearing any gowns or masks or gloves. Is that, this, is that an accurate representation or is it a very different situation on the ground? Uh, no, that's, that's pretty accurate. So, what, so when we go into the hospital, you're basically every single day you have to be, you have to answer those questions, just sort of like the, the questions when you uh, went through customs and immigration through another, uh, you know, to getting on the plane back to the United States, you know, has anybody tampered with your luggage? So we, they ask us, do you have COVID symptoms? Have you traveled somewhere? Or do you live with someone who's got COVID? They ask you these screening questions. And if you pass the screening questions, they give you a little sticker uh, that you put on your badge for the day. They just implemented a new policy, actually just got the email yesterday, where now they will distribute masks to all the people who work in the hospital. Now, as you know, there's all this, the original thinking was that, oh, masks don't do anything to prevent this in terms of the receiver. It only helps if the person is sick, you throw the mask on the person who's sick and it prevents that person's germs from spreading. There's an article in the New York Times today, I don't know if you either of you saw it, that showed that masks back in the SARS outbreak actually did decrease the rate of transmission. 
is mm. 55% if you just washed your hands. And if you, if you uh, put on a mask, it was closer to 68%. And then if you did the mask, gloves, and hand washing, uh, it was close to 91%. So, so uh, the hospital now is giving everybody a mask. You walk in and they, they give you a mask to wear throughout the, the, the hospital. Yeah, we just initiated that same uh, policy here at Rush. Um, one question I've I've been trying to ask everybody we talk to, and you know the the answer is most likely no, just from a probability perspective. But we had one case here very early on where we took a suspected a rule out patient that ended up being negative, but we had to take him to the OR for an urgent wound revision. Have you had any patients on your service that are either suspected or confirmed cases? who have had to go to the OR? And, and if so, how did you handle it? Uh, the, the, uh, we, have, we have not in answer to that, but we did have a patient who was a rule-out COVID patient. And the minute I told the OR staff, they just freaked out. As you can imagine, how they freak out over tuberculosis patients, or they certainly yeah. do in San Francisco. They just freaked out, and the whole OR just went crazy. Thankfully, that person did not turn out to be COVID positive, And thankfully, that person did not need to go to the OR. But what has happened now is the anesthesiologist, when they um, when they intubate, it's the anesthesiologist in the room. Everybody has to leave the room for 15 minutes after intubation, because as you know, that's the most aerosolizing step. Uh, so 15 minutes, uh, they are only there. They wear N95s, the, uh, the anesthesia attending and the resident. They wear N95s, do the intubation. Everybody sits around and outside the door, waits 15 minutes, and then they can come in. And the same for extubation. Everybody has to leave the room. They extubate and you wait 15 minutes and then you come back in. Wow. That's, uh, you know, we've had so many anesthesia delays in normal times. I can't even imagine doing a case now. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to make light of it, but it is crazy. So, so Dean, let me ask you something that's going on locally here in Miami. And I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but our faculty of 21 attendings is all over the place in terms of their thinking, behavior, and whatnot with some people who have just, uh, again, I'm not going to name any names. They've recommended that we buy our own hazmat suits and show up in the hospital and do this protocol where we change our suits twice going between our cars to the hospital. I mean, it's a whole ritual as if we are in a P4 containment lab at C CDC, right? And then other surgeons who are basically, I don't want to say they're doing business as usual, but I, I see almost no deviation from before the the outbreak, the pandemic. And what is it like at UCSF? It, it sounds like everybody's very much on board and, and consistent and not all over the place. Is that true? Uh, there is some variation, like you said, that people will kind of book, you know, semi-urgent cases just to do more cases uh, when it, sometimes it's questionable whether or not they really need to go. Um, so there is a little bit of that, but I, I do think for the most part, most people are uh, uh, very compliant. Uh, and, and I think if you, you know, if you think about it, you know, how did China get the thing under control or fairly under control is because everybody did the same thing. And I think that part of San Francisco was that the mayor says, you all have to do this. And today they just shut down all the parking lots to the parks, to the beach because people were kind of hanging out on the beach uh, or the, they're still separated, but there were a lot of people by the beach. So they, they shut down the whole parking lot. They, they walled off all playgrounds. So basically you can't go anywhere except by, uh, 
by foot. You have to walk there if you really want to go to those places. So I, I think having a consistent uh, message that everybody complies with, I think is is critical. Have you have you seen any professionals uh, or even patients, I should say, walking around your hospital like in the full hazmat suit? And if so, was there any kind of response to that? Did people think that was totally normal or did they think it was odd? Uh, not yet. We've not seen the full hazmat uh, suit yet, but we, but a lot of people just walk around in 95s. Uh, and, and then obviously a lot of people walking around with the masks. Pivoting from the hospital to city life, you just talked about some of the closures of public spaces. How, how is it living there? Are the people, you know, by and large following the rules and, and doing their part to limit spread and exposure or is there discontent? Are, are things comfortable in the city? Yeah, I think so far it's been okay. I, I do think that, you know, there's this area called Christie Field, which is right by the Golden Gate uh, Bridge where people could go, but now that's been shut down. We were able to go into Golden Gate Park to, to kind of get out, um, uh, but that's probably going to be shut down. Uh, and and the so that those things sort of helped uh, mitigate this whole effect of, of shelter in. And the other thing is a lot of, you know, the, the good restaurants, like high-end restaurants were letting people get takeout uh, and, you know, they prepared these really nice meals. You could get even cocktails and, and, and take them home. So I think there were, have been certain things that help, help uh, you know, abate the, the whole uh, claustrophobic kind of staying at home thing. But, but I do think that overall people um, overall just staying home and just uh, gritting and bear it like, bearing it like the rest of the country. Do you see any signs this is letting up there? I mean, I, I know that the statistics are really hard to hard to make sense of, but you are in the ICU. You're in, you know, you're kind of seeing the disease burden live, right? Do you see it that you've you've gotten close to a plateau, or you think it's still increasing in San Francisco? Uh, you know, when we when we uh, talked to Bob Walker, who's the chairman of medicine, he he was cautiously optimistic. Um, so I, I do think that the numbers have been very reasonable and uh, you know UCSF has not been overrun and I think part of that is the lockdown of the entire city uh, and and people and now police are enforcing this lockdown whereas before they just kind of uh, let you go but now the police are actually going to enforce this lockdown um, and, and I think the fact that a, a lot of the the ICUs are still pretty open uh, I think is very very optimistic but but again as, as you all know this 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 thing can just just go crazy at any minute. And, you know, you've got, you know, 10, hundred times the number of cases. Uh, so you, you just never know. Well, Dr. Chow, um, you know, just respecting your time uh, to wrap things up, you know, there in San Francisco and in California in general, there's such a large population of patients. There's such a large population of healthcare workers. From your perspective there at UCSF, um, is, is there any message you'd like to share to, to our listeners um, as everyone's getting through this crisis together? Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, in San Francisco, we're all sharing the exact same frustrations and concerns that everyone else is that, you know, when will this end? I'm so tired of staying at home. Uh, everything's shut down. Uh, but I think in the end, it's probably the one big thing that is working. So I would encourage everyone to really uh, to, to, to heed the message that this is probably the, what, the only thing we can do at this point. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time to be on the show. 
Um, I think it's very important that we all share the perspectives from different cities, from different countries, as we all get through this as a nation and as a global community. So Dr. Chow, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Nice talking to you.